Let's do it. Let's do it. You know, I had to be be donut hole. Your donut hole. (laughs) That that line means more to me than you will ever understand. (laughs) A whole nother donut with its own hole. And our first donut is not whole. (laughs) Its own. (laughs) I wanted to be Fran's stash, but it won't let you put an apostrophe in the names on here. So I just had to be Fran. I was also torn between Fran and Wagner because on this rewatch, I found Trooper Wagner to be incredibly delightful. I don't know why he had just sort of like surfed beneath my notice before on my previous watches. Anyway, hello and welcome. So you should see The Other Guy, the podcast in which we watch a typically romantic movie, typically featuring a love triangle, and explain to you why the person who chose a love interest did so poorly and should have chosen their other option. I'm Jennifer. I'm Samantha. Samantha Blanc. I say, I say, I'm Samantha Blanc. <laughs> and I am Sadie <laughs> the Donut Hole Collins. <laughs> <laughs> the donut hole reason the, the, the definite hole. article there <laughs> the donut hole inside the donut hole a fun fact about donut holes to kick off the episode um back when i lived in the glorious northeast there was a very popular grocery store donut brand called entermans entermans something like that um and they, they made a donut hole product called a popum, P-O-P space apostrophe E-M-S. Uh, and my sister, Sharon, previous guest of this podcast, insisted on calling them popums. <laughs> like they were some kind of Catholic-themed snack treat, and it drove me batty. I love these little, um, you know, details about the linguistic tics of Samantha's family members that we're picking up like Easter eggs. We've learned about the Mario Go Fish and how that has influenced <laughs> you and your brother. And now we know one that thing- Sharon says popums. <laughs> I'm keeping a list. We do have a habit of kind of intentionally mispronouncing things. I feel like a lot of people do this, or maybe I just watched too much Tracy on 30 Rock, where I just feel like I'm always looking for ways to just like intentionally mess up a word. You know, I'm not sure I've ever said the word uh, dollar, like dollar in my life in the last 10 years. It's always got to be doll doll hair. Doll hair? Um, (laughs) Just all these little things that start out as like, I'll say this weird one time, fast forward 10 years later, and you're in your mid-30s and talking (laughs) inscrutably. Um. Well, Sadie's already started. We know all about her onions and what else does Sadie? There are like three more things that immediately fled my mind as soon as I tried to put I also love to say like, (laughs) instead of saying I do not, I like to say I do snot like snot that comes out of your nose. Ah. It is physically impossible for me to just say it regular. <laughs> and speaking of anyway, weird well, ways of speaking, <laughs> Ben yes. lost <laughs> knives out. Are your knives out? Let's talk about them. My knives. My Wolverine claws are half retracted right now. 
but they have the potential to come out over the course of this podcast. My adamantium my skeleton. Theatrical knives are surrounding um, my chair like we a throne right now. Say what happens in Knives Out, but also everyone in the world has seen Knives Out. So I truly hope so. Yeah, but it's basically like I'll, <laughs> I'll kind of take the reins a little bit for the first general layout and then. You both can decide amongst yourselves, fight like dogs for um, the specifics. <laughs> but basically, it's like a very refreshing classic whodunit brought back to the big screen. Um, it was released in 2019, directed and created by Ryan Johnson. Fantastic man. Never met him, but he's great. I'm sure of it. Um, and... It surrounds this man, Harlan Thromby. He is 85 years old, and he is a best-selling multi-decade novelist of mystery novels, crime, you know, true, you know, crime, whodunit novels. And he commits suicide in his office, and you kind of are introduced to his cast of very privileged family members and also his nurse Marta who is a young woman and she is kind of part of the family but also very much on the fringes of the family and Benoit Blanc played by Daniel Craig along with Lakeith Stanfield and let me think it's coming to me it's coming to me ah what is his name <sighs> noah sagan trooper wagner are kind of interviewing each yeah. of the of the family members and figuring out if it was a suicide or if it was not a suicide um even though harlan slit his own throat so it seems very cut and dry suicide and it takes place outside of boston massachusetts in this or very big and wet suicide <laughs> Cut and splatter. Uh, what? I'm what sorry. did you just say? <laughs> you said a cut and dry suicide. And <laughs> I apologize Please. for the grim joke, but it is October now, so I'm I'm allowed. Wouldn't it be really hard to cut your own throat? I gotta say, I guess you just I have to get far enough the to the jugular, right? To do it. <laughs> Like, if I were in Harlan's situation, well, first of all, I wouldn't do what he did regardless. But if I were Harlan and I did decide to do that, I don't know if the throat cutting, but I guess that was also kind of the point because you can't really fake a suicide. Like, it has to have been yourself doing it. I don't know. Why couldn't he have just written a note in his own handwriting that said, I don't want to be alive anymore. That's why I stole the morphine from uh, Ben Affleck's girlfriend's bag and <laughs> injected it in myself after having watched her do it several times. Like, I get I get why narratively it had to be the throat slitting, but his head seems to go to that as an option very quick, <laughs> as opposed to just, like, coming up with some other ways to exonerate her. I feel like her, he had already uh, had plans. I mean, not to die by suicide, I mean, that's but to why have he a makes dramatic the death in the murder novel the time mystery. Came. 
Like my husband's uncle always says that when he knows that his time has come and he is going to die, he's going to put on a leopard print thong and climb into someone's trunk and lock himself in. That'd be a hell of a way to go. (laughs) Maybe we'll see that in Knives Out 3 on Netflix in 2027. Um, Would either of you like to take over the more nitty gritty summary. I also just noticed that earlier I apparently searched for knives out rub time instead of run time. (laughs) (laughs) That'll take you to a very different website. (laughs) How long does it take to get off masturbating while watching knives out and people just posting their, (laughs) their times. All right. So Sadie's given us the basic layout that this is like a a detective murder suicide inheritance mystery. And now we are talking about the characters. Yeah, we need our roster. Tony Collette, Joni, she's a daughter-in-law of Monsieur Thrombly. Thrombly? Thrombly? Is there an L in there? Thrombly. And (laughs) she has a goop-esque skincare company called like Gelf or Glomp. Glam. Flimp. Flimp. Flam. <laughs> Something oh, flam. Like that. Flam. Something like that. Flam. <laughs> it's about the flam. And she has a lip... <laughs> She has a daughter who's been uh, using uh, Grandpa Thromby for cash to go to uh, Smith, I think, or some liberal arts school. Some Weird. expensive, not a state school. Yeah. Her name is Meg. She likes to uh, act very friendly with the help and uh, not refer to them as the help in order to feel less like a, you know, daughter of a rich family than she is. Jamie Lee Curtis is Linda, who is the eldest daughter of of our boy Thromby, who died at the beginning. And uh, she is, how would you describe her? She wears pantsuits. She's very proud of being a self-made woman, even though she made her business on a $1 million loan from her father. She has an asshole husband named Richard. Who cheated on her and is not smart, I think. What are those his characteristics? Yeah, the least and he's quick to character. open his mouth about things. Let's and see. Also- it is also noted that he uh, has a vested interest in the affair not being found out because he... Uh, his his parents or his parents uh, ransom. We'll get to him in a minute. His parents have a prenup so that Richard does not have any part in Linda's business. Yeah, and they together have a child who is an alt right child, I believe. No, that one's well. I mean, probably That's ransom Walt is, but their child and- is Chris Evans. Yeah. <laughs> oh right. Wait, Chris Evans is their kid. Yeah. I missed that. <laughs> Chris Evans is Jamie Lee Curtis's son in the movie. He he wears cable knit sweaters. He uh, has a big personality. He's the he's seen as the irresponsible one in the family. He drives a BMW around, and he dogs do he, not like him. Yeah, he's kind of has a fuck you cavalier attitude toward everyone else who regards the family with. Uh, well, at least superficially a sacrosanct attitude, but they all essentially just want Daddy Thromby's big wad of cash. (laughs) That's also the description on the Knives Out Rub Time site, oddly enough. (laughs) So speaking of rubbing out in this movie, the alt-right Nazi child... Uh, Jacob? That, yeah, that's his name. Jacob yeah. Thromby is the son of Walt, 
who is Michael Shannon, and Donna, who is somebody who uh Ricky Lindholm from um the the, the comedy scene. Nice. She there gets are a lot of minimal screen time. Yeah, she got a little bit there. Anyway, they are right wing assholes and have an even worse right wing sixteen year old son who clashes with Meg, who you know views herself as uh, very woke, so to speak. And Michael Shannon is the runs the publishing company that basically just churns out guaranteed bestsellers from Daddy Thromby. And Walt has never really kind of done anything of his own. And he has begged his father to let him spin out film and TV adaptations. And Daddy Thromby is like, no, I just want to hang out in my attic with my trick windows and my board games. Um, (laughs) Which is very fair. (laughs) Yeah. Understandable. And then uh, we have Great Nana Juanetta. Yes, the mama who, and yes. Fran are our remaining char- central players, I believe. Uh, Great Nana does not speak very much. She is the mother of, um, you know, Harlan Thromby. And it no is one untold knows how, old, how she old she is. Yeah. Fran is the housekeeper and she is Judy from The Righteous Gemstones. Yes, that's the only thing I will ever know her as. Even if she becomes mega famous, I will still call her Judy. She Uh, has a stash of joints hidden in a Cupid clock in the mansion that she has apparently not smoked since Meg gifted her a jewel. And she is the one who discovers Harlan's dead body the morning that he is found dead. So... Uh, he's found dead. The police are ready to call it a suicide, but enter Benoit Blanc, who's been hired to solve the case by receiving an anonymous wad of cash (laughs) in his his mailbox. (laughs) I love the way that he phrases this. He's like, there is one person who has evaded all questions. And they're like, who? He's like, me. You asked me (laughs) why I was hired. And I just, I don't know. (laughs) I love love how he's, he's very, he's played off as being incredibly intelligent, but also very emotionally intelligent, which I feel like a lot of these very classic famous detectives of the past like Sherlock Holmes have notoriously lacked and so he is smart but that plays second fiddle to him just being like a chill guy like he's just he's just super cash man (laughs) so you can tell it is palpable that Daniel Craig is living in this role He is so tired of playing fucking James Bond and he just wants to be a weirdo. Like he is loving it. It it excuses, it covers over a thousand sins for me because if he weren't, if he were having slightly less of a good time, the accent would be unforgivable for me. (laughs) But because he's having so much fun doing it, you kind of like don't want to say anything. You're just like, sure. like (laughs) Just let him do his thing. (laughs) It's sort of like, when we were talking about the apparently the Point Break live show pre-pandemic where they would bring up an audience member to play Johnny Utah, 
like Daniel Craig just got like plopped into this movie and he is having the time of his life playing it exactly however he wants to. Yeah. So in initial questioning, Benoit establishes that essentially everybody has some kind of motive for killing Harlan. Walt could kill him so that he could take more control over the film and TV adaptations. Um, Joni could kill him over the college money. Um, Oh, also, we should maybe note at this point that Harlan has, on the night of the party, uh, you know, a few hours prior to his death, he has just cut all of these people out of his will. Yes. Yeah. He's kind of, uh, he's having a reckoning moment. And that's Ransom's motive is. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Also, breaking news, Britney Spears' father has been suspended as the conservator. (gasps) This is breaking live right now on this podcast. Oh, that is wonderful. Thank you. She's free. The gays did it. The gays freed Britney. The gays did it. And also Britney's lawyer. And now Britney can marry her boyfriend, Sam, and they can have children. Oh, did you uh, also know that the iconic uh, Leave Britney Alone YouTuber, who weirdly grew up in the same city as me, but on the other side of the state line, uh, has now transitioned. Indeed. She has come out. A beautiful day for all of us. A catalyst for for so much change in the world. And I mean that not sarcastically, despite my amused sounding tone. I saw her accept a GLAAD award uh, a couple, uh, three years ago in person. And sadly, she seemed kind of robotic to me, which kind of probably spoke to like what she was going through at the time of just like still in this conservatorship getting carted around to all these places she was still forced to be taking medications that i don't think she necessarily needed or wanted to be on in that period as well yeah anyway back to knives out this breaking i know people come to us as a news podcast for the (laughs) latest breaking developments in the world um, so we'll we'll bring you back live if there are any natural disasters we need to cover. But for now, it's knives out time. Um, so I think like everybody's got a motive, but we learned pretty early on that what really happened or what we think really happened is that um, Marta believes that she accidentally mixed up vials of the nightly medication she gives to Harlan Thromby in a private attic room. Um, she's supposed to give him... <laughs> Uh, I don't know what it's called. And instead, she thinks she accidentally gave him 100 milligrams of morphine, a killing dose. And Harlan Thromby, master of narrative, quick thinker says, well, I'll wait. My family, who I don't even like, is going to blame this on you. So uh, you need to leave now and do all of these elaborate things to give give yourself alibi in a timeline that rules you out as a suspect. And I'm going to like stay up here uh, for totally normal reasons. I'm definitely not going to slit my throat with a knife. So go now. Right in front of your very eyes (laughs) when you check back in on me. (laughs) And so Marta, after, you know, trying to call the police, but having Harlan put his fingers on the receiver, um, decides to follow his instructions. She turns around at the last minute, doubting the plan to see Harlan uh, uh, just decimating his throat with a knife that he keeps in his attic room. And so we know this, the audience knows this early on as she's talking to Benoit Blanc and she importantly cannot lie 
because she would vomit if she lied. So she has to carefully phrase the entire recounting of events so that she never technically lies. Though you wonder if the vomit thing would follow the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law. Uh, yeah, like what? Is she like a like a fey fairy creature here? Like that she can lie by skirting certain aspects of the truth so easily? That does not set off the, the vomit reflex? Yeah. So, I mean, basically a lot of the movie is Daniel Craig just kind of, excuse me, uh, Monsieur Blanc, uh, <laughs> like sniffing around uh, Marta, kind of knowing that he's on to her, but and she's sweating and she's trying to get out of it. And the crucial development is it's revealed that she has been made the sole heir of his entire estate. So the family becomes Fuck eager to up, pin the Marta. murder on her. So they can apply the Slayer rule, which uh, sounds like a great uh, video game name. Uh, first I was person thinking shooter. it was something from like Buffy. Oh yeah, that's Ryan Johnson. I I dare da- I should not confuse Ryan Johnson with Joss Whedon. Yes, um, we will not insult Ryan Johnson that way <laughs> on this podcast. We have a pro Ryan Johnson stance on you should see the other guy. I have not checked with Samantha and Sadie yet, but I feel safe in declaring that for all of us. You would. I have correct. a uh, my thumb is three quarters raised toward Ryan Johnson. Um, <laughs> three quarters i mean that's still you know that's still on the the positive side yeah i'd say so um more than your thumb is raised for joss whedon surely so if the fa- oh definitely so if the family can pin the murder on uh marta then they can get all their money back so they're eager to do that and marta finds an unlikely ally and ransom um someone else take it away from from the cable knit sweater uh, moment. So while Marta is, you know, confused and trying to stumble out of the house after they all find out that Harlan has made a last minute change to the will and left everything to Marta and nothing to his children or family, they're all yelling at her. Linda, Jamie Lee Curtis in particular, goes from being a relatively benevolent figure in the the events leading up to this to just vicious and screaming in her face. They hound her right out of the house and she's trying to get her car to start and it won't. And Ransom pulls up in the Beamer and weirdly, I guess she's making bad choices at this point because she's had, you know, a hell of a a week. She jumps in the car with him and he takes her to a diner. And this is the point where, you know, besides like being a complete fucking asshole and, and dogs hate him, you really start to suspect that this guy is really evil because he looks incredible in the sweater that he is wearing and he is way too nice and understanding about everything and is not interested in fighting it in favor of his family. See, but um, Marta as takes all of this is yeah. just like <laughs> who is very gullible and always exactly buys into what the movie is trying to make you believe at the time. Um, and yes, I do take pride in, in that. Being that gullible, <laughs> so that I ex- I enjoy all movies to the fullest extent, the way that they were meant to be enjoyed. At this point, I thought like, oh no, are they gonna make like this be a romance between the- these two? Like, I was not suspecting him at all because I thought that they were gonna go for that angle, and I was not happy about it. Anyway, please continue. 
But lo, it turns out secretly he was the mastermind all along. And so he, you know, he gets the story, what Marta thinks is the real story out of her. So he's got all of her secrets and he convinces her that, well, she she receives a letter and she's being blackmailed that somebody has a copy of the toxicology report that will apparently prove that Marta accidentally dosed Harlan with the 100 milligrams of morphine. It doesn't show the entire report, just the top of it. So Ransom, being such an ally, convinces Marta that they need to get a hold of the report and destroy it. So that, you know, Marta won't be implicated in Harlan's death. But Benoit Blanc is not. Oh, and let's see. Before before Benoit Blanc uh, comes fully back into it, there's a whole little side plot with Fran. We think that Fran was the blackmailer, but she herself is dosed up on morphine and um, passes out before Marta can save her. So Marta at this point thinks that, you know, the gig is up, like, you know, she's done this, she needs to turn herself in, everything is terrible. So she spills the beans and not the contents of her stomach this time to Benoit Blanc, but he still thinks there's there's something going on with it. Turns out Ransom was the would-be murderer the whole time, and his plot was to switch the medications that Marta typically gives to Harlan in with the intention that she would accidentally trying to give him his non-narcotic medication, overdose him on morphine and he would die. However, because she mixed up the bottles, she had actually given Harlan the non-narcotic, non-morphine correct dosage of his medication. And there was no reason for him to die except that he wanted to make a dramatic exit and, you know, put us all through this, the events of this movie. Let's see. What am I leaving out? Uh, Benoit Blanc figures this out and they do a little um, interrogation with Ransom, who still thinks he's got it all in the bag, but it didn't work out. And oh, also he he committed some arson. He burned down like the entire toxicology do. lab or whatever, you know. Yeah, <laughs> there is like you know he's not caught on video or anything. Like this guy is pretty good at crime. I mean, I guess he was like Harlan Thrombey, you know, crime novel extraordinaire's like grandson, and has done some studying. But anyway, uh, so while they're interrogating Ransom about it. The two police dudes and Benoit Blanc and Marta. Uh, Marta gets a call from the hospital and tells them that it turns out that Judy, a.k.a. Fran in this movie, is still alive. So she is going to be able to testify against Ransom because she had put it together and was actually attempting to blackmail Ransom to find out the truth that it was him who did it, not Marta. But obviously, you know, he killed her because that was a really weird plan to meet him in, you know, an isolated location without telling anybody where she was. And yeah, sorry, Fran. Sorry, Fran. You, you, you're missed. But anyway, it turns out that Fran actually very sadly had died, but Marta lied about it and managed to hold in the puke until Ransom thinks that Fran is still living and confesses to attempting to murder her himself, thereby confessing to her murder, confessing to the whole plan. And then Marta throws up all over him in his face. And it was really disgusting. And then for like dramatic reasons, he grabs a knife and leaps for her to try to kill her too in front of all the police. Like, I don't really know how that's going to help his case, but it turns out to be the little fake theater knife they were playing with at the beginning. And she doesn't die. 
and Chris Evans gets taken to jail and Marta gets everything in the will and the family's pissed off about it. But what are they going to do? Marta is sipping presumably coffee from the my house, my rules, my coffee mug. And the movie is finished. Chef's fucking kiss. God, (laughs) I love this movie. Oh, fuck. I missed when Great Nana came in. That's why Benoit Blanc knew that Ransom was responsible because Great Nana, who doesn't talk very much, spilled the beans on that. She saw Ransom re-enter the house to tamper with the medications. When I first saw this in theaters, I was convinced that there would be a twist that Harlan didn't actually kill himself had used the stage knife and was disguising himself as Nana because Nana never That would have been amazing. (laughs) That's the plot of Knives Out too. And they seeded the fake knife. Yeah. (laughs) It felt so teased. Yeah. Uh, Because they showed the fake knife. We established that she never talks and just kind of sits around the house. She's like shrouded in like seven different layers of coats and jackets. (laughs) I don't know. I I think I wanted the twist to be a little twistier, which is why Knives Out for me, it's not like a total home run. So I want to hear from the home runners first. I, may I speak? Okay. So you may speak. What I love about this movie is the many subtleties of it and how well first of all i mean we know that all of the 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 family members are truly awful people disguising themselves as liberals you know and caring about marta when they don't even bother to know what country she's actually from or anything about like her family or you know, caring to even invite her to the funeral. It's just little things that add up to that. And also the trickery, especially of thinking that Meg, oh, maybe Meg is actually like a good, you know, an an actual ally to Marta and actually believes what she says. But then as soon as money is ripped away from her, Marta is like, well, we're his actual family and you aren't. So I think you should give the money back. Like, you really see how- Meg commits one of the direst betrayals because yeah. she is the only one besides Harlan who knows that Marta's mother is is undocumented and could be deported from the country, which she keeps secret from her family until she finds out that she could potentially lose her college tuition money. And then she immediately spills that detail so that Walt and company can attempt to blackmail Marta with it. Which, and like- just really vile. <laughs> Get a fucking loan. Like, I don't understand her at all. But why well, do I, I, I know this type of person 100%. So she makes me the most mad, probably out of all of the characters. And yeah, j- just the way that they immediately turn on Marta in a way that's like, they never cared about her. They never cared about Harlan to, you know, by extent. Um, and they're money grabbing monsters. But what I like about the twist of Knives Out that it actually was Chris Evans is it almost makes you, well, what it's trying to do, whether or not it succeeds for that, you know, depends on the the viewer. But what it's trying to do is make you think like, oh, maybe this white guy isn't that bad. Like it kind of makes you think that he's on her side and that like, oh, it couldn't be him because he wears a nice sweater and he's nice to her 
and they have a like, you know, he's witty and et cetera, et cetera. But then much in the same way that they did that with Hugh Grant's character in The Undoing, this was better executed. You find out that it actually was him all along. And if you doubted that for a second, then that was just you being played and falling into that, like, you know, we forgive white men to a much higher extent than we do any other group of people. And it kind of jogs introspection. And it was just, it was so yeah. good. Like, I loved that it was him because I don't think that any other character really would have been as satisfying because he is. He's so like, you know, like definitely someone that white, that like young girls would like thirst after on Tumblr kind of thing. But at the end of the day, he's a monster. And you maybe think that at first and then you get to know him and you're like, oh no, like it couldn't be him. It has to be someone else. It has to be, I don't know, Walt or any other character. But then you find out, no, it's just that I was blinded for a second and it actually is definitely him. So that's what I liked about it. It felt, it was very simplistic, but it was also clever in the way that it was executed, which I love. I love this movie. I appreciate that a lot about it as well, Sadie. Yeah, it, I, like the first time I saw it in theaters, um, because this that is my one major beef with this movie. And, you know, I will go into that a bit more in a minute, but is that it is a little bit too fucking long for me. I would have preferred oh. to see it tightened down just a hair because it is like three minutes shorter than the kissing booth too. Like it is long. Um, so I was like losing steam a little bit by just sitting there for that long the first time I saw it. But no, I got worried because the misdirection that they did there too. Obviously, Chris Evans is like sort of seated as the ultimate villain at the beginning. He seems, he gets the most dramatically unlikable entrance of probably all of these characters, which is really saying something. But then they do the turnaround on you and they kind of have him play into that. Well, I don't like my family. Like they've, you know, to, that sort of separates him from them and, you know, does make you think, well, maybe. Because, you know, just like Marta, when he puts on his very expensive, very beautiful sweater, you know, it kind of wins you over a little bit. <laughs> in his favor. So when I watched this for the first time, I was scared for a little bit. I was like, surely Ryan Johnson will not do this and make Marta be the mastermind all along. That would be terrible. Then I was really worried that it was going to be Fran because they had sort of the only people who ever noticed her um, throughout the movie. I mean, presumably she, she loved Harlan and they had a relationship, but that's not really shown on screen. The only people we really see speak to Fran are Marta and Meg. And she's kind of, you know, she sort of disappeared. So I thought maybe they would bring her back as the as the killer because, you know, obviously I noticed her because I was like, hey, that's Judy at the beginning. But fortunately, she was not the killer, even if she was not very wise in her plans for how to confront the real would-be killer. But what I really like about this is, is the, the, like Sadie said, it's the writing, the way that the characters talk to each other. Um, there are so many funny little moments and things that they say to each other and the pacing is nice. It never lets the joke hang for too long and kind of keeps it rolling, you know? So I, I just laughed aloud a lot. I, I chuckled 
a lot watching this movie. And you know, all the little subtle, like not funny, but funny, you have to laugh at it because like, by God, like the the way these people treat Marta and, and you know, the little running gags, like I don't know if they ever do establish uh, what country Marta's family is from because the family, the Thromby family drops a different country every single time they bring it up with no sense of, of shame or irony whatsoever. They just can't keep Ecuador and Paraguay and Uruguay and Brazil straight. Um, <laughs> I always just kind of assumed... And- Cuba, yeah. because Anna de Armas is from Cuba, but mm. who I don't know if I don't think that yeah. they ever like actually say. Yeah, they just kind of. <laughs> but yeah, it's just so funny. And it's just really delightful to get to watch. Well, it's nice that in in a murder mystery like this, too, there's so many little fun, all the things that get seated and then called back to, you know, the the fake knife. I do, you know, uh, like Samantha's idea that Harlan could have faked it all out somehow with the fake knife, you know, but that does turn up again at the end. Little things that they say. The whole detail about Marta throwing up when she lies is all just there so that she gets to dramatically blow chunks all over Chris Evans, you know, in the finale. Um, It's just fun. It's a fun movie. And the dialogue is fun. Daniel Craig's terrible, stupid accent is fun. You can tell just the chemistry, all of the actors really vibe with each other. And watching it with subtitles actually improved the experience for me over watching in the theater, because you can see things (laughs) like when Ransom tells everybody to eat shit and it's, you know, panning out of the room and they're all screaming at once and Walt is yelling, I will not eat one iota of shit. And, you know, when... um uh, when the the hippy dippy the flam one is trying to to sweet talk Marta after she gets all the money you know so she could be in communication with her she's like oh I'm off of Twitter now um, send me an Instagram DM you know through <laughs> the window of the car like they're all just like making such a meal of their characters and having so much fun that it's infectious and they really sweep you up in their enthusiasm. And it has me quite looking forward to seeing what's going to happen with a fresh cast of characters in Knives Out 2. Edward Norton is in the cast of Knives Out 2, and that's all I oh, care so about. Oh, so Samantha's as already there. <laughs> yes. I'm so excited for um, Knives Out 2. Janelle Monet as well. Please go, Samantha. I'm not here to be grumpy, although that is often the role I find myself in on the podcast. So let me start by saying... I really like the movie, probably like a four out of five for me, or a high three and a half for 3.75 out of five. Daniel Craig is having the time of his life, not doing any stunts or riding any motorcycles, but just like doing the thing that he presumably did before in between Bond films, which was uh, acting. Um, (laughs) And I love seeing a movie. I mean, 2019, this was the last year of the before times. It was a time when we were seeing movies in theaters. And um, it was a time when you could get a whole bunch of money spent on a huge A-list ensemble cast like this if there were enough buzz in a, a a hot director attached to it. So I just like, I love getting to see people who are at the top of their game just kind of play, you know? Like how often do you get Jamie Lee Curtis, Daniel Craig, Michael Shannon all in the same room, right? Like it's just, um, 
it is a joy to watch and experience. I think like, like in terms of the mystery, I just like want it to be like a hair better, you know, like I just want it to be like mm-hmm. a hair more satisfying because as charming yeah. as Ransom is, I felt like it's pretty obvious that something is fishy about how he's like, like, oh, you should go meet them at uh, the 10am <laughs> spot or oh, what are you gonna do? You know, it just had such like a friend who has ulterior motives, like egging you on thing. And I don't know, maybe it would have been better if he played kind of like uh, the like sensitive recluse of the family or something, and she finds herself drawn to him. But maybe that would make you expect it more. That's the problem with writing these puzzle box mysteries, is they cater to an audience that like subsists off of these. So they're always looking (laughs) for the person they don't expect. But that makes the person they don't expect the person they expect. And it seems like a hugely challenging thing to write. So I don't envy. Yeah. twist they could have come up with it's like yeah like aha like I knew that was coming as soon as it does <laughs> but it the was other- fun to see Chris Evans uh, oh to interrupt you quickly Samantha sorry oh, Lily. but I just wanted to say though that it is fun to see Chris Evans um, back in smarmy asshole role that's what he oh, always yes. did before that was his sweet spot like what he was always cast as pre Captain America and then he got kind of now people think he's like wholesome, but <laughs> yeah, he does. He does terrible, awful, you know, amoral asshole very well. My other minor gripe, and this is a minor one, very easy for me to overlook, is that I don't like the aspect of this movie that feels the need to go meta or to acknowledge like the genre in which it's participating. Um, You know, like there are all sorts of like, like little references scattered throughout, like Trooper Wagner is essentially a stand-in character for like mystery fans who's just like... um kind of living for it he's just like totally enthralled by the process of watching a private detective work a case and he says all the kinds of things that like an audience would say like at one point the the by the numbers cop Lakeith Stanfield like interrupts Benoit Blanc in the middle of his like grandiloquent explanation of events and Trooper Wagner is like shh like shut up let him talk or whatever you know (laughs) and I it's like cute but to me it kind of like takes me out of it and to me it's like I don't know. It feels like one of those ways in which like straight people don't understand camp. Like, you know, Ryan Johnson has to take a character like Benoit Blanc and make him like a like a real world entity where they ground him and they're like, oh, there was a New Yorker profile about you, how you're the last of uh, the private detectives or something. Oh, that was worth it though, just for that one line that Tony Collette got to deliver about that. Oh, I I saw a tweet. (laughs) (laughs) Like a a tweet with a headline about a New Yorker article about you. (laughs) I just kind of hope that in future iterations, because there will be a bunch of these movies apparently, they kind of don't feel the need to wink at all the tropes as much because like i i don't know i'm just getting less and less mileage out of like let's wink at these tropes instead of just like focusing all your energy on just executing them really well you know samantha uh tangentially related 
how do you feel about the movie Cabin in the Woods? I liked it on first viewing, but I think it wears more and more. Probably for precisely that reason, because it feels like it's just playing to the satisfaction of like recognizing the structure um, of horror narratives, where it's like, it just feels a little congratulatory uh, to the audience of like, yes, we all know what a final girl is. And we all know that the <laughs> characters Which, who have sex die first. And again, that kind jo- of fuck Joss Whedon. But yeah, I really loved that movie when I first saw it. And so I'm sparing in my rewatches so that I can preserve that love. So yeah. I just was curious. Sadie, I, I've heard you start to speak, but then hold yourself back twice now. And the third oh, time no, no, no. truly is a charm. I, if I may try to express how much, and I don't even know if I can, of why I love this movie so much, and also how much I love this movie. Um, So (laughs) I saw it in theaters three times. And I, when I first watched it, I was like sitting and I was like, I never wanted it to end. I was so upset when it ended. I was like, I am fed like this. I fucking love this specific brand of like whodunit. Like I love all of those shows like Rosemary and Time, Murder, She Wrote, Grant Chester, um, Marple, all the Agatha Christie novels, Hinterland, like all, you know what I mean? And this like fit like a little Jenga piece right into, right into my brain. Um, I loved how saturated it was and also how it had such a wonderful setting to it. And also Marta was such a compelling character and I loved her dynamic with Benoit Blanc. And I just love when you can tell when characters are, or when actors are having fun creating murder mysteries, because I feel like they are in general quite fun to make. Cause I feel like a lot of times actors are very clearly, clearly having fun when they make these TV shows. And so it was just such a delight to watch it. And I, So I watched it um, with my friends and then I watched it by myself and then I watched it with my mom. And then as soon as it became available to rent, I watched it with my dad. And then on average, I'd say I watched this movie at least once a month. I just have it on in the background. I I fucking like in truly inject it into my veins. I love it. And um, I also feel like it's one of the few... November movies. Like this is not a holiday movie. It's not a December movie. It's not a Halloween October movie. It is a November film. And I love it for that reason. Ah, it joins yep. the ranks of Sweet November starring Keanu Reeves and Charlize Theron. <laughs> <laughs> I think Autumn in New York is a November movie too. <laughs> Which is why I'm a little nervous yeah, about Knives It's November out 8th, right? Ooh, it's going to be a summer movie, isn't it? They were like filming in Greece over the summer. I think it's set in Greece. And I don't know. I don't think that anybody knows like the actual plot of it yet. The only person from the original cast to return was Benoit Blanc, which I love. I I think that having those characters wrapped up was perfect. Um, And it has, I'm trying to recall, Janelle Monae, Dave Batista, I believe, who I don't like um, much at all. 
but I will I will watch um, Edward Norton, um, Leslie Odom Jr., Catherine Hahn, who balances out Dave Bautista because I love Catherine Hahn um, about as much as I dislike Dave Bautista, which is quite a lot. And um, yeah. I'm I'm Junior, but Kate I'm intrigued. Hudson. I feel like it's gonna Ooh, bring kind of like a Smith, Mama too. Mia, a Mama Mia meets Clue type of vibe. <laughs> so I'm excited. Dave Bautista, Mia. I feel like Ryan Johnson just got like sixty million dollars to take down to UTA, and then he just shopped actors like he was at a grocery store he was just like <laughs> i'll put katherine hahn in the cart Ooh, edward norton half off all right <laughs> dump him in there edward norton is probably like great ryan i can help you rewrite the film we'll uh we'll restart from the beginning i'll be involved fr- from the ground up <laughs> and ryan johnson is like sure i love edward norton he's who i would be just insufferably pretentious if I were um, (laughs) allowed to be in that world. I feel like there is an ineffable. um, So Justin was around and in and out of the room while I was rewatching Knives Out for this podcast. And he asked me at one point if the writer of this movie was a Capricorn or a Virgo, because he felt that the details uh, were the the dialogue was snappy and things were falling well together. But Ryan Johnson indeed is a Sagittarius. And I feel like that just must have something to do with why Sadie and Justin both love this movie so much. I think that Benoit Blanc is probably a Sagittarius as well. And you'd be right. Yeah. (laughs) I hope so much that he has a completely different unexplained accent like that the tweet put into the world back before Knives Out 2 was even a thing. I think they won't do it. I my predictions for Knives Out 2 are Foghorn Leghorn accent. Um it will take place at a Greek tourist destination. There will be some kind of murder in a resort. Um and Janelle Monet will look incredible. It'll be semi-locked room. Um, kind of like largely confined to a resort in Greece. Official predictions, locked in, go. Mm. I think it's going to also take place on a touristy type of destination. I'm leaning more towards like a nine perfect strangers type of getaway retreat. And maybe something happens involving a boat. Perhaps there's a yacht involved. I don't know. I feel like it could go a bunch of different directions. But I feel like there has to be a retreat or a boat, a big one involved at some at some point. And I don't know, I feel like there's has to be something that's going to tie all the characters together, which is why I'm thinking like either they are all like on a cruise or they're all at a retreat or a hotel. I don't know. But that seems a little bit too White Lotus-y. So I just don't know. Given the amount of, I'm not sure who is going to be the murdered person yet. Edward Norton, we will don't, see. Don't you say it, Shen. <laughs> but can't you, I'm just looking at this cast of characters right now, and I just see him being the dead one. I'm sorry, Samantha. I don't know why. It's probably so, the most expensive actor dies. I, <laughs> I feel like... <laughs> Sadie hopes it's Dave Bautista, (laughs) and then everyone is like, oh, well, I guess we'll all move on with our lives now. (laughs) 
and then the rest <laughs> of the movie is just everyone having fun in Greece. Okay, it's got to be Edward Norton though, right? Maybe Dave Bautista because I looking at these women, I foresee that there is going to be some type of rivalry angle there. Like maybe Catherine Hahn or no, maybe Kate Hudson is like the the wealthy ex-wife living off alimony. And Madeline Klein is like the new replacement girlfriend. I don't know how Janelle Monet is like a like, I don't know, a cabaret singer who was the secret mistress, they're all going to have like an attachment to the money somehow. And I feel like it instead of it being a family, family thing this time that there's maybe will be more romantic entanglement. I feel like a woman dies this time. I feel like, mm. yeah. Could be. What if think? Kate Hudson? Um, wait, you said Jada Pinkett Smith was in this cast? Yes. Okay. So, okay, okay, she okay, okay, is okay, indeed. okay, 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 okay. Okay, I think what if it is not necessarily a murder mystery at so much as like a kidnapping situation? Mayhaps I'm okay. So, okay, oh, an idea is forming Janelle Monet, Catherine Hahn, Jada Pinkett Smith, Thropple. Jada Pinkett Smith goes missing. Janelle Monet and Catherine Hahn enlist the other cruise goers. To help find Jim, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith. And Benoit Blanc was just there for a vacay. Oh, Thoughts? a little, uh, a little uh, Agatha Christie on the Nile uh, vibes. Okay, a so maybe on the Edward Orient Norton Express. is... <laughs> no, there's one where Poirot okay. solves a mystery while he's just like taking a pleasure cruise in Egypt. Ah, uh, yes, yes, um, yes. I forget the name of it, though. That's what detectives of that caliber do while they're on vacation. But yeah, so maybe Edward Norton is like the competing detective thinking he's going to like make (gasps) his name with this case. But unfortunately for him, Benoit Blanc is there. That would play into Edward Norton. Uh, nicely, I feel like. I also really like Sadie's idea of they're all at a wellness retreat and having to watch uh, Benoit Blanc like interact with that (laughs) world would be really funny to me. Okay, so I have never heard of this actress Jessica Henwick before, but I just clicked through to her Google results and I really hope that even though these are not very romantic movies, that somehow there is a scene where she and Janelle Monet make out is now my greatest wish for this sequel. Yeah. Knives Out one pretty short on the queer representation, but could we change that with other guy readings? This is one of those films where it's hard because the point of it is a lot of them are horrible people. Does anyone ship Marta and Benoit Blanc? I can't. I want to a little bit because he, you know, tells her what a good person she is and stuff. But I'm sorry. This is one of those age gaps that I cannot look at and and deal with. I realize that Daniel Craig is not that different in age from Ben Affleck in real life, who Anna DeArmas dated. And that's fine and well, they are all adults, but like Benoit Blanc, like, you know, he's, he's wearing like suspenders and probably sock suspenders also under that suit. Like, well, Marta is just not someone who fits into his daily lifestyle. In, in, I feel like he sees her more as a protege than as a romantic option. If I may put forth a heterosexual, um, front runner, (laughs) I would say, (laughs) 
Oh, wait. Give me one second to refresh myself on that. Da, 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 da. No one speak. No one speak. I'm not giving up my spot here to say this. Oh, yes, yes. Okay. I think Marta should get with Detective Elliot, played by Lakeith Stanfield. Because yeah, they would look I like that. really hot together. Yeah, I think that like they could get into it. I think that Marta, she's a nurse, side gig as a private eye, and she starts to have a romance with Detective Elliot after Benoit Blanc leaves, and they kind of start up a little rapport with each other. And she mostly does like private eye stuff for like undocumented immigrants and undocumented citizens and she just kind of that's my that's my thought of what happens in the future sadie i I like that and that makes so much sense also i think like personality wise this seems to be one of the few shippable couples in this movie because they are also those characters are two of the few straight men like in the comedy sense of the term in the cast you know they're (laughs) Some of the only ones who aren't out on some completely wild level that like you can actually envision this working. I, I wonder how much do we, do we think Benoit Blanc fucks, you know? Because a part of the premise of these mythical detective figures is like in the Agatha Christie vein, you don't get much access to their personal life. Like when you watch Poirot's, it's like, they're always people who are like, oh, at Poirot, I remember, I know you. We had lunch together in Paris. Poirot uh, doesn't fuck. Okay, yeah. Columbo fucks, though. Like, canonically. Columbo He's has married, a wife. Right? Yeah, yeah. Who yeah. we never Columbo see on screen, I believe. Columbo fucks. <laughs> you can just see it. Columbo fucks, but... I don't think Benoit Blanc fucks. And I think that mostly this is because Daniel Craig playing this role is so sick of having to do the sexy James Bond thing that he really leaned into a character who just wants to practice singing his little songs in his spare time when he's by himself, Um, you know, waiting on Marta to go deal with the blackmail thing unknowingly rather than do anything sexual. (laughs) He does like anonymous big wads of cash delivered to his, where he is staying though. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I feel like do we how how much more do we want to know about his character in sequels or would you rather he remain at this inaccessible level where we only get little private glimmers of his quirks? Absolutely I inaccessible. I do not want the backstory yeah. of Benoit Blanc. <laughs> we do not need how he got into the lifestyle. Like that would kill it if they did like the prequel on Benoit Blanc. Yeah. Is that the only shippable couple? I could also see I know we just said Benoit Blanc uh doesn't fuck Jen. Um but, but what if he maybe. what if Trooper Wagner is his power oh, bottom? I mean I could get down with that. I was thinking him and Fran um more because I guess Daniel Craig just gives off a powerful heterosexual energy. But Wagner, I think, would be honored and delighted, um, offered the opportunity to be involved with Benoit Blanc. Yeah, Wagner would just, like, get off watching him solve a mystery. (laughs) He should be his little, uh, his little, I mean, I know that Benoit Blanc was calling uh, Marta Watson while they were working on the, the mystery, but... I mean Wagner, he's a he's a great little enthusiastic cheerleader. Yeah. I I did I enjoyed Wagner. Sadie, I think you and I are on a page with this. I it was irritating him. Samantha to have 
you know, so many little winks and nods, but I loved him too. And my favorite thing that he did was when they're about to discover the footprints, it's, uh, you know, still relatively early on in the investigation. And Marta and Benoit Blanc and Lieutenant Elliot and um, what it, Trooper Wagner, they're they're all out walking the grounds and and uh, and Blanc discovers some footprints. So they're all stop, wait, you know, and then Marta doesn't want them to be found. So it kind of manages to fuck it up and the dog runs through them and stuff. But Wagner, as soon as he is made aware of the footprints, goes into this hilarious like uh cartoon sideways tiptoe walk like you know trying to avoid them even though he's nowhere near them and i just found it delightful so props to props to you actor you made wagner funny very funny to me what else can we even say about this yeah because the the family they're Can't all ship them with each love. other <laughs> well no and even like you can't ship them with outsiders because you don't wish that upon innocent other people yeah (laughs) like damn what about um no i i I see it now i was about to suggest marta's sister and um trooper wagner because they both seem to be uh true crime and mystery fans but now that samantha suggested the idea of wagner as a power bottom i think that's just obliterated any other possibility in my mind I mean, just look at him. (laughs) He's just so sweet and innocent, which is a very strange thing to say about a cop character. That's why it's fiction. Are we speechless? This is a rare moment for us. I'm trying to the, you know, three seconds of unprecedented silence. I thought of a new question that is not, you know, necessarily romantically shipping these people. But who do you think that the dogs went to? Are they also considered part of the property of the house and therefore they stay with Marta? Or because I don't think any of these family members are capable of caring for dogs. (laughs) Even though Linda did seem to love them and squealed that they were her babies and... Wait, you guys, I have another thought of my now, now that I'm actually obsessed with the idea of Marta getting with Detective Elliot, imagine if he really likes the dogs, and he's like, hey, are you wanting to adopt them out, whatever? And she's like, I'm going to be really busy doing this and taking care of my mom, etc. Please feel free to take them. But then she starts to miss them. So she asks if she can visit. And then he just occasionally will bring the dogs over. And then she starts to help him like consulting on cases. You guys? Well, I've cracked it. Sadie, if you do not close out of this recording tonight and immediately start writing some Knives Out fanfic, I'm going to be upset. <laughs> Is there ni- there must be Knives Out fanfic, right? Let's Wait. I am the AO3 consultant here. Let me find Knives Out. Oh. <laughs> it's got a tag. Oh, there's a Benoit Blanc tag, too. Oh, there sure is. Look at these forty-three and more pages. Seven, eight hundred and forty-seven <laughs> pieces. And oh my god, a good portion of them is ransom reader fanfic. Oh no, and I hate that. Oh god, man. Like what does that mean? Four hundred. It means ransom oh, with. No. How do I even describe it? Like it's just like your name, like your like a self insert. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Wait, what is... So it's wow. like imagining like it's, yourself with Ransom? It's usually, yeah, it's put, it's usually written in like second person. 
perspective. Like you. Oh God, the worst person. <laughs> yeah. Like here's somebody who Ransom, did like a super meta, like uh, a Chris Evans, like in a bunch of roles, like also Marvel Cinematic Universe, Knives Out and some other things. Wow. The list of tags on here. I'm going to filter by Wait, kudos what? and see what is the most popular. Brothers one. all having sex with the same person at the same time slash, but no actual sexual relations between them slash. So I guess no incest question mark. It's also about werewolves. I hate I I hate people that I share the earth with sometimes. (laughs) Why are so many people shipping Marta with ransom? I they put him in a nice sweater and he's uh, a hot like actor. I feel like I don't know. And people are probably attracted to his badness, and yet he like murders Fran in a fucking warehouse full of spiders. So like um, and also his own do grandfather. Do they write around that? Or it- well, no, a lot of no. them don't seem to be writing around Here's it. They seem where- to be really into him <laughs> being like a psychopath, <laughs> which is great. Oh, great. What? This one is about that you're married. You, as the reader, are married to Ransom, but the sexual stuff is going cold, but he has an idea of how to bring you back together. And it is like cuckolding himself as Dark Ransom. Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) It's called Nothing Compares to You. I mean, there's some creativity in the space, even if people tend to gravitate toward unsavory characters. I'll give you that. Cuckolding yourself (laughs) with alternate reality you. There are too many Ransom, Drysdale, and readers. People just wanted, I mean, you can't blame people for wanting to fantasize about themselves having sex with Chris Evans while he was wearing the sweater. But here's one with Jacob, the Nazi teenager. Oh, no. Like, that's the romantic interest? Yes. (laughs) Does AO3 have, like, content moderation? Um, you have to, you're supposed to tag it. You can choose not to use archive warnings, but it's considered very bad form, I believe, if you put um, certain things in it and don't give people content warnings. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this is a story about falling in love with a Nazi. (laughs) (laughs) Here's one with Ransom getting with the, uh, the reader who is you, who has a taste for nose candy, quote unquote. Where's the Fran Marta fanfic? Where's oh, the Detective no. Elliot Ransom fanfic? Ransom becoming a father. He was he was the hottest. Well, man it's not on the first page. In the <laughs> he was the hottest man in. Oh, this Lakeith Stanfield movie. is so good looking. Yeah, this was peak Lakeith Stanfield era too. I felt yeah. like every month I went and saw an entirely different movie with Lakeith Stanfield in it. You know. This was like, sorry to bother you. T- well, no, that was like a year before, right? But I feel like I saw I, them. Get out. Sorry to bother you. Um, and and this, we're all like in a spree. One. Isn't he in one? Okay, I'm going to click away from this. Knives Out Archive of Your Own Tag. Keith Stanfield, The Photograph. He was in a rom-com also. I always love, yeah, that was good. I always love Lakeith Stanfield's Wikipedia page because it's a photo of him at the 2017 Comic-Con and he looks like an anime villain. <laughs> In in whatever outfit he has on. 
Damn. So I think this is the point in the podcast where we need to take a little detour to talk about whatever went on with Anna de Armas and Ben Affleck. And Anna de Armas updates the account which she blocked. Wait, she blocked whose account on what now? She blocked her own fan account that posted that actually ended up getting it way much more attention this way. And it got write ups and stuff on like the cut or whatever, because Anna de Armas updates a Twitter account that posts, you know, news updates about her upcoming roles and and uh, photo sets of her and photography sets and stuff. She apparently got angry because when the pandemic started and she and Ben Affleck would be photographed without wearing masks, the uh, person behind the site would make like mild fun at their expense with little captions like Ben Affleck and you know, Anna de Armas and Ben Affleck unsafely walking their dogs without a mask today in LA or like Anna de Armas and Ben Affleck sadly unprotected from respiratory droplets doing this activity. And um, Anna de Armas apparently took took exception to this and blocked her own fan account, which people noticed and immediately thought was hilarious. It was quite fun. So the guy behind it has kept making the account. Are they no longer, they're no longer dating, right? Oh no. No. He's big time back with JLo. Oh, that's right. Okay. I I don't live under a rock enough that I know that much. The JLo Ben Affleck reunion. And hysterically before the JLo Ben Affleck reunion, before Alex Rodriguez fucked that up so badly that he left the opening for Ben Affleck to get back in there. That whoever the mystery person was who was photographed throwing away a life-size cardboard cutout of Anna de Armas <laughs> from Ben Affleck's home right after the breakup, that is the funniest celebrity gossip thing that has happened maybe in my entire life. Like- I like to think that was hers <laughs> and not Ben Affleck's, you know? <laughs> Just the pictures, the pathos, like outside of a celebrity's mansion, a hooded person anonymously throwing away a life-size cardboard cutout of the celebrity owner's recent ex-girlfriend. I Just- gotta say, <laughs> I liked the Ben Affleck, Anna Darmus era. Um, it was a good I one, but he's for, back where um, he belongs with Benifer. J-Lo now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. There was something there. The pathos of the Anna de Armas era, as you put it, Jen, the Ben Affleck carrying in huge trays of Dunkin Donuts and kind of like looking sad, even as he was dating a much younger woman. There was something about it that really captured the prevailing mood of 2020, you know? Yeah. Like maybe if you could, like you said, choose one image from celebrity gossip to encapsulate what 2020 was. It's like, some security guard wearing a mask, putting uh, putting a cardboard cutout of Anadarmus <laughs> in Ben Affleck's trash can. Try explaining that to yourself ben at Affleck, age five. Like as Lainey Gossip says sometimes, like very approvingly about certain celebrities and their situations. Like Ben Affleck is quote good for gossip. Like he just has an innate talent. He can't help it. The man steps outside to smoke a cigarette and he's a meme. He's trying to look at the ocean with his terrible Phoenix back tattoo. And he just really has a knack for capturing the mood of the nation at a given time. I mean, I think part of, I don't know, 
tell me how you feel about Ben Affleck, fellow co-host. But part of what I love about him in this era is like at an era where like the world is getting more unequal and inhospitable and like many celebrities are just like still kind of doubling down and living the same glassy eyed, relentlessly upbeat, like singing Imagine together on TikTok existences. Um, like Ben Affleck is like there, he's still sitting on a thick fucking wad of cash. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but he's like unhappy, he's miserable. And, um, I, I kind of liked that about the 2020 Ben Affleck of like all these celebrities are trying to be like, no, we're totally fine. We're still like glossy plasticine mythical beings. And Ben Affleck was out there just like trying not to spill iced coffee on himself. Like, like we all are, you know? (laughs) So my views about Ben Affleck again here, I'm cribbing from, from old Laney gossip articles because the way that she phrases this, I think is, I I also subscribe to this belief that Ben Affleck is a person who does not, he's not okay when things are great for him and he's at the top of his game. He needs to be like a comeback kid. He needs to be like fighting an uphill battle or he is going to self-sabotage himself to ensure that that happens, you know, even if he's not doing it consciously. Like, Back from like Gwyneth Paltrow, like dated him back like a thousand years ago, you know, and and she was she has some famous quote about like Ben, like he's a great guy, but he always gets in his own way. And I think he does what he tried to and he very successfully that's when didn't he get an Oscar? When he was with Jennifer Garner and kind of went and she did that like politician's wife mode and started making cookies all the time. And, you know, they kind of had this wholesome family image. And then he blew that the fuck up with like the nanny chick on Tom Brady's private plane. And um, so... I'm interested, like, it's fun to see, it's it's fun, like, less because of, like, I mean, I'm, I'm happy for Ben Affleck being happy, I guess, whatever. But it's fun to just I'm see not. the power of J-Lo at work right now. And that, like, Ben Affleck was looking, like, sad and schlubby and, you know, just like the world was ending so recently. And then he starts dating J-Lo and within, like, a week, she's got him, like, looking amazing on red carpets and stuff. And But I, I feel like, unless this marine miraculously lasts forever that this second JLo era is setting Ben Affleck up Samantha for maybe five years of the type of photos that you want to see of Ben Affleck like (laughs) the crash if this doesn't work out will be epic yeah Dunkin Donuts doesn't make a culotta large enough for that era (laughs) of Ben Affleck he'll have to bring his own two liter hydro flask to the store and live there on a cot <laughs> not even a luxury he'll, cot he'll take just the, a sad cot he'll take a st- <laughs> he'll take a standalone location home like he'll uproot it and put it on an oversized load uh, truck and drive it through Boston until God. it's inside his house so if he had a life-size cardboard cutout of Anna Duarmas in his house, what kind of J-Lo decorations do we think this man has? Uh, he was he was photographed wearing a watch that she had gifted him back in like 2004 when they were first in love. So clearly he kept it all this time or purchased an exact duplicate. Like, 
He's been holding a torch. We need to get Ben Affleck in a knives out. Seriously. Oh, he would be amazing. I, I mean, feel like honest, I can the, think of like three one, roles off the top of my head. <laughs> I feel like the the one that he should have been in if Ben Affleck was going to be in a knives out would have been this one, the first one, because it, Ben Affleck is the most Boston actor I think I, I've ever seen in my life, except for maybe, what is his name, Bill Burr? Him and Bill Burr are the most Boston people <laughs> in in existence who have ever existed. And I feel like putting Ben Affleck in a Knives Out anywhere but Boston would be a disservice to both him and Boston. I just, I feel like it's been too long since I've seen him act. Well, he and Matt Damon are going to be in that movie that I'm too scared to watch with uh, Villanelle from Killing Eve that's coming oh, out no. soon, right? I'm worried. I probably don't think that's good. (laughs) Because it's some like, first of all, both of them have modern fucking faces. And it is an absolutely bizarre idea to cast them in some like medieval piece. (laughs) And then they're going to, it's some plot about like, they're like best friends and knights or something. And one is accused of raping the other's wife or like, I in no way trust Matt Damon to handle this correctly. And I do not have much more faith in Ben Affleck. God bless his little Dunkin' Donuts soul. Um, So yeah, that's what we probably will skip on the pod. (laughs) Is it just going to be impossible to make period pieces at a certain point because everyone's faces will just be like so full of fillers that it's like, I don't know. Imagine like Addison Ray playing like oh Queen Victoria or something like that. <laughs> oh my god. It's it's coming. It'll happen. I mean, damn. Yeah. There are people who have period faces who exist in the world all the time. Like because but in Hollywood, mm, I don't know. Yeah. Well, more Ben note- Affleck in Knives Out movies. <laughs> Is there anything else back that to we Knives have Out? To- <laughs> To say about Knives Out, or are we ready to rate? Um, we must the house select our objects. Was oh, so the house gorgeous. is great. Whoever did like the set dressing and stuff for this, select again, just having the time of their life. Oh, to rate, Sadie. Like, uh, <laughs> oh. you know, our conceit on this, where we where I, we pick an object out of five. I thought you meant like well, the object I'm go of ahead. our affections. <laughs> and I was like, I've already chose chosen the Keystone field. You are. Did you not hear me? <laughs> I'll take Go Wagner ahead. and Fran. <laughs> I I want to echo Jen's point about the house. I feel like more movies need to be pretty to look at. Looking at you, Netflix movies, where it's just like, please God, they, they do a couple of sets and one street in Vancouver. <laughs> Thinking of falling in love that tries to be set in Seattle, but has like, oh um, no, 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 that was apartments. Um, Love complicated. The falling in love was set in no. New Zealand. Wait, really? Yeah, falling in love was the New Zealand one that had oh, the Australian right. guy playing a New Zealander. Wait, but speaking of falling in love, I have to, I think that I texted you guys this when I first saw it, but oh, 
Christina Milian has a new travel-centric rom-com on Netflix called Resort to Love. So now she has covered inns. She has covered resorts. Oh. I am so excited to see what is next in the Christina Milian rom-com. Yeah, what <laughs> other booking.com categories can she do? Airbnb. Cottage. The heart. <laughs> Hamlet campground. Um, yeah. <laughs> I will give knives out three, uh, th- three knives fully out, and then one prop knife three quarters of the way um, out out of five knives total. Um, for the reasons aforementioned, I really like it. I could endlessly rewatch it. I just like wish that it had been turned up a little bit more, like a little snappier, a little cracklier, a little twistier, and a little more commitment to the bit. Which in a way is a great compliment because Samantha is like one of those teachers who when something like approaches perfection, but slightly falls short, it maddens her more than something that just sucks, you know? It's almost more disappointing when it's like so good, but close, you know, than like, because then you're like, maybe I'll just go rewatch Event Horizon or something like that, you know? <laughs> you know, just as as people do, maybe I'll just go watch, rewatch Event Horizon. Oh, okay. I want to let Sadie go last because she will have the the best rating and I feel this movie deserves that. I am going to give it four and a half of the joints in Fran's Cupid clock stash, because if I managed <laughs> to smoke four joints, which I don't know if I could quite make it through, I probably could not completely finish the last half. And honestly, my only reason for for cropping off a, a half star of the, the ratings is just because Two hours and 10 minutes is a little bit long for me to sit through. And this would have been a gleaming five of five for me if it would have managed to be an hour and 45 minutes long. Jen, where are you trying to go all this time? <laughs> every, every time we do a movie, you're like, I wish it had been just a clean, brisk 45 minutes long. <laughs> Samantha, I'm I'm one of those classic people from the memes, you know, who I am happy to sit and watch six hours straight of a TV sh- series that is like has 45 minute episodes. I will watch forever. But when a movie asks me to sit for longer than an hour and 30 minutes, like fuck that. I've got to stretch my legs. I need a break from this narrative. I'm done. I've had yeah. it. It's a short story and it needs to wrap up. So that is my my philosophy. There is a pause button, you know, like. Yeah, but then you like lose the momentum and it's, you know, it would just be ideal if movies just legally were required to be 90 minutes long. Wow. I will say other Um. instances, I do agree with you, Jen, except for this movie, which I never want to do. Um, Shall I continue? Shall I do my rating? (laughs) Yes, yes, please. I would rate it. I will rate it five beans, five sausages, and five vomit bowls out of five. And, you know what? Oh, and also God. five vomit chunks, also out of five, for a subtotal of 20 uh, things in Marta's stomach out of five. I fucking love this movie. This is. The exact type of movie that's not technically a rom-com, 
well, it's not a rom-com at all, but this is the exact type of movie that I don't watch, that I watch when I'm not watching rom-coms. I, it's so good. I love a good murder mystery. I love a good classic whodunit. I think that everyone has such great comedic timing in this movie. Like I find myself laughing every time I watch it, even though I've watched it like countless times. And I think that the core of Marta just being a genuinely good person is just so good to me. Like the roller coaster that you go on with her is so good. And I love it. I love it. And also so many of the people, well, half of the people are hot. The other half are such good actors and actresses that you despise their faces <laughs> for the entire movie. Um and scene. Yeah, there need to be more large ensemble movies of just like wildly talented character actors just getting to get in there and just have a good time with each other. The people want it. The people being us. They're craving it now. I mean, that that's why maybe I'm loving that Edward Norton is doing the sequel because Edward Norton, famous shunner of the Marvel franchise after one movie. I'm trying to think, has any was anyone in Knives Out one ever involved in a Marvel universe? I mean, besides Ransom? Chris Evans? Yeah. But um, yeah. Besides besides him. I'm gonna rack my brain. I feel like they sneak you. They sneak up on you. Like I was thinking about how Mads uh Michelson was Mads Mickelson yeah. Stranger <laughs> Doctor Strange. And I hate that for him. Um <laughs> Stranger Doc. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I hope he got paid really well for that. He had cool eye makeup. Oh, and I guess Knives Out 2 has Catherine Hahn, but like by and large, it seems like the majority of the cast are actors who are like, oh, finally I can like do something fun and interesting that's not like playing an FBI agent on a Disney Plus show, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yes. There's like a palpable, like, yeah, I've said that already, but like viscerally, you can just feel that these actors like, and presumably the people behind the scenes as well, everybody on that set was so glad to be there. Also going into actors' private lives more so than Ben Affleck and Anna Diarmas, like it doesn't cross my mind often, but when it does, it sticks there and refuses to let go of me for a few days. I am just so curious about Daniel Craig and Rachel Weiss's private life. Like they're married and they have children together, right? Like Evie from The Mummy and Benoit Blanc are married, IRL. I love that for them. They owe us me nothing. Uh, Jen, what elaborate puzzle box mysteries should people enshroud our podcast in? Well, if people first want to solve the elaborate puzzle box mystery of how to find us so that they can enshroud us in their own separate puzzle box mystery, we can be located on Twitter at YSSTOG or emailed if you want to send us a blackmail email, which we will probably not check the email to see until shockingly later and our blackmail time period might run out. But if you want to do that, you can do so at YSSTOGpodcast at gmail.com. And most importantly, if you would like to help us continue to be able to stream all of these movies without resorting to dastardly illegal means that will surely set Benoit Blanc upon our trail. You can support us on our Patreon at patreon.com slash YSSTOG and we have some cool 
uh, like tiers of rewards and you can join our private Discord server and talk to us and you can get special monthly playlists designed by Sadie. And if you join the Nora tier, you can even select a movie for us to watch. Yeah, the toxicology report for Sadie. (laughs) Yes, We're, we're getting Sadie into it slowly but surely. Sadie's toxicology report would just reveal that her her blood is like 75% Pomplamoose LaCroix. Just like... <laughs> <laughs> dangerous I, levels I'm of carbonation. I'm drinking right now. How dare you? <laughs> anyway, is it time uh, for me to thank our lovely, wonderful Patreons? Because that's my favorite part of the podcast. Indeed. Ahem. I would like the to thank end? our lovely, wonderful gorgeous Knives Out Patreons, Logan, Logan Mayonnaise, Andrew, Althea, Xenolon, Sharon, Justin, Evan, and Liz. We love you all so much, and we would absolutely not switch your vials with morphine. (laughs) Given the option, we would not. (laughs) Except for maybe Evan. I would switch Evan's (laughs) file. Um.